Summer. Well, let's get rolling on this morning's teaching. Uh, if you are new here to Hope, my name's Doug. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, and if you're watching online uh, or if you're later listening to the podcast, I want to say thanks to you as well for uh, taking time to worship with us and, and uh, join in the teaching this morning. Now here, uh, every Sunday morning, if you're around, you know how we do this. We, uh, we just open the Bible and we go to the next passage in whatever it is that we're studying and right now we're in a series of messages that is probably going to take us a couple years, but we are walking through the book of Luke, and we're going story by story. Now Luke um, tells all these stories of the life and teachings of Jesus, and there's a big theme that runs throughout these stories, and it's what we've named the series, um, which, which is Luke, Jesus for Everyone. And we hear through story after story that Jesus is here for everyone. And by the way, the last two weeks, uh, Liz last week and two weeks ago, Aaron taught, and I thought they just did great. Any, you guys agree? Yes? Yes? Yeah. Well done. Well done. So today I'm picking up uh, Luke chapter 5, verse 27. Now, to set the context of where we're at in the story here, um, at this point in the life of Jesus, we know from the other Gospels that so far he has four followers, four disciples. Anybody know their names? Nope. Peter. Peter, Peter Paul, and Mary. Nope. Um, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, right? They start following Jesus at the beginning of chapter 5 here. Um, and so picture Jesus and, and the, his four disciples at this point. They come into Capernaum, and they spot somebody that at least Peter and the other disciples, his co-workers previously, they probably recognize this guy. Chapter 5 of uh, Luke, verse 27, Luke tells us this. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector. Just pause there for a second. Now, a tax collector was somebody who was despised by Jewish folks. See, the Jewish nation was occupied by Rome. And so Rome uh, hired Jewish tax collectors to do the dirty work of collecting exorbitant taxes on their own people. So a tax collector was somebody who extorted and stole and took and then gave most or some of it to Rome, but they kept a lot for themselves. These folks were traitors to their own people, so they were hated. So back to verse 27. Jesus went out, saw a tax collector by the name of Levi. By the way, Levi, Matthew, same guy. Matthew's the same guy as Levi. So uh, Matthew, sitting at his tax booth, follow me, Jesus said to him, and Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Now check out this clip from The Chosen that imagines a bit of what that moment in Matthew's calling might have looked like. We live in the same world, Matthew. Next. Besides, what else are you going to do with a mind like yours? Matthew. Matthew, son of Alpheus. Yes. Follow me. Me? <laughs> yes, you. 
Whoa, whoa, whoa. What are you doing? You want me to join you? Keep moving, street preacher. Do you have any idea what this guy has done? Do you even know him? Yes. Listen, I said to... What are you doing? Where do you think you're going? Guys, let me go. Have you lost your mind? You have money. Quintus protects you. No Jew lives as good as you. You're gonna throw it all away. Yes. I don't get it. You didn't get it when I chose you either. But this is different. I'm not a tax collector. Get used to different. I'm glad we passed by your booth today, Matthew. Yes. Shall we? We have a celebration to prepare for. You will regret this, Matthew. What's the tablet for? I grabbed it without thinking. You can put it back. No, no, keep it. You may yet find use for it. Where are we going? A dinner party. I'm not welcome at dinner parties. Well, that's not going to be a problem tonight. You're the host. Yeah, can you imagine how that all played out? Like this hated, despised outcast, Matthew, gets surprisingly to everybody else, except for Jesus, he gets chosen by Jesus to become a disciple? Like, <laughs> wow. Um, but, but all through the book of Luke, we see these stories told by Luke in such a way that I think help us to live in the story ourselves, to have us imagine ourselves you know, relating to these characters, to maybe even imagine what it would be like to have been there as a scene played out. And so, you know, can you just imagine how this felt to Matthew, right, from his perspective? As you, in the clip here, I think that probably is pretty close to whatever might have happened. Like, he just was stunned, right? Or Peter, James, John, and Andrew's perspective, how they experienced this wild encounter, right? I mean, just think of Peter here. Jesus called and chose Peter at the beginning of this chapter, chapter 5, and then, you know, he and Jesus and the boys, they just walked past Matthew, and at first he must have been seeing Jesus look over at Matthew and been like, yeah, right, Jesus, I know this guy, like, this guy's a traitor to our city, traitor to his own family, and he's got to be thinking, oh man, I can't wait to see or hear what Jesus is going to say to this creep, and instead, instead of you know, condemning him or chewing Matthew out, Jesus says, what? Follow me. Follow me. And again, just imagine the shock of everyone who saw this go down, especially the four disciples. They're like, wait, 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 what, Jesus, what are you doing, right? 
Peter, James, John, and Andrew were probably wondering something like, hey, uh, uh, Jesus, listen, I'm not so sure that if Matthew follows you that then we can follow you. I mean, Matthew's an embarrassment to our people. Everybody hates tax collectors. This is a bad idea, Jesus. And, and besides, Jesus, don't you have any standards? Aren't there any restrictions on who you would invite to follow you? Oh, Matthew, come on, for real? Like I do, I think it's likely that the four disciples there were probably pretty offended by this whole deal. And, and any Jewish patriot that was watching, they would have been offended by Jesus calling Matthew, and definitely these devout religious folks were offended by what Jesus did when he called Matthew. But remember, Jesus is for who? Everyone. Everyone. And right here, Luke shows us that, that for some people, that everyone is a big stretch to try to say, really? Like, really everyone, Jesus? So Peter... Andrew, James, and John, I, you know, for at least a moment here, they had a decision to make, but I think they'd probably already seen and heard too much unbelievably good stuff, so despite having Matthew on the team, they stick with Jesus, they keep following Jesus anyway. Now, what's cool, uh, and we'll get to the next verse here, the way that Matthew slash Levi responds to being called to become a follower of Jesus is to throw a party. Verse 29 says... Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd, <clears throat> a large crowd of tax collectors and <clears throat> others were eating with them. So pause there for a second. Now, in that day and age, this is just wrong at so many levels, because back in that culture, if you had a meal, if you ate with someone, it was a sign of acceptance. If you would enter into someone's home, you were showing that you accepted that person. It was a, it was a demonstration of friendship. And it wasn't just a demonstration of friendship to the person that you were, you know, hanging out with, because back then people lived in very close proximity in these villages, and so everybody always was in everybody else's business. Everybody always knew who was at everybody else's house. And so when Luke says a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them, it's not like Jesus and the four disciples just kind of snuck into Matthew's house unnoticed. Like, people knew and, and by the way, Jesus did that on purpose. But people knew, which meant also that the religious people, the Pharisees, they knew as well. And most likely, they've been kind of shadowing Jesus. They've heard about what he's been preaching and teaching and these miracles that are going on. So somebody's probably shadowing him, trying to figure out, okay, which team is Jesus connected to? Is he on our side or is he on some other team? So they trail Jesus, they trail his posse all the way to Matthew's house, and, but they're never going to enter into a house that belonged to somebody like Matthew because it would make them ceremonially unclean. I mean, can you imagine, again, that part right there, like they're going to come up to, you know, at least the sidewalk outside or something, and Luke 5 verse 30 says, but the Pharisees complained to Jesus' disciples and said, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. 
I have not come to call the righteous, but to call sinners to repentance. In fact, let's, let's read that, verse 31 and 32 on the screen. Let's read that together out loud. Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That's Jesus' answer to these Pharisees who, who show up and start complaining about who Jesus is allowing to hang around with him. And, you know, they have a little bit of a point because Jesus, is a, he's a teacher. He's a, a rabbi. And so it's, it's kind of like they're saying, hey, hey, he's supposed to speak on behalf of God. He should know better. But Jesus doesn't hear that complaint and, and apologize. No, no. He doubles down. And he's saying here, listen up. It's, it's not the healthy people who need the doctor, but the sick. And that's really what grabbed my attention in the study of this passage um, was that the sick need a doctor. The sick need a doctor. You know, I think about just even that phrase right there, and I got to tell you, um, I uh, feel like, especially with the great, wonderful younger staff in their 20s, mostly in their 20s and 30s, right? I, I look at these guys and all their energy, and it's wonderful, but sometimes it's a, there's one little downside. It's a reminder that I'm getting old, <laughs> I feel like I'm getting old. And then I kind of look at my, my body and uh, see my body starting to break down and weird stuff happen, you know, hair that grows where I never had hair grow before and then hair stopped growing where I wish I had hair grow, you know, like my thyroid's all messed up and my blood pressure's a little high. I had to have a partial knee replacement um, uh, last summer. I remember when that happened to my older brother, I thought, wow, he's old and now... <laughs> Yeah, there we go. So um, I do. I feel a little bit old. And, and, and I've learned that when stuff starts to wear down in my body or my body just doesn't start feeling right, ignoring things is not a great idea. Um, and, and I hate admitting it. But some of the things that I'm dealing with, like I can't fix on my own. Like, I have to come to this humbling place of acknowledging, I can't fix this one myself. <laughs> I need a doctor. And with some of our physical conditions, I know there's some things we can do, but with some of our physical conditions, if we don't acknowledge that we need a doctor, well, then we just get to keep our sickness. And that goes for our spiritual condition as well. See, it's so important to acknowledge we need help. We can't fix the brokenness ourselves and that the sick, that I need a doctor and we need Jesus. Because while there are some physical ailments that can be self-treated, there's a big difference when it comes to spiritual conditions because when it comes to our soul, when it comes to our spirit, when it comes to our heart, we can't fix it ourselves. We absolutely need a doctor. We can't fix the condition of our soul on our own. We need the great physician. We need Jesus. And so we have to acknowledge our need for help because if we, if we don't acknowledge it or if we think, no, 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 I don't really need Jesus, then we get to keep our spiritual sickness, don't we? And without Jesus, we can never be spiritually well. 
And the Pharisees right here in the story, they, they saw no need for a doctor. They were doing just fine. They couldn't see how deeply, how badly they needed what Jesus had to offer. So what they got to keep was their sickness, their, their judgmental, smug, fake superiority. They were sick and they couldn't see it. So there was a doctor right there, but they missed out on freedom. But... And I'll use Jesus' words here. But the sinners, they knew they needed help. The sinners, they knew they couldn't fix it on their own. And in their sickness, the sinners knew that they needed Jesus, the great physician, and they received amazing grace. Now, I'm going to pause for just a second on that word sinners. I think what we'll do is we'll come back and talk about that because what I don't want is for us at Hope to walk around saying what you hear in some Christian circles that, that Christians are saying, well, I'm just a sinner. I'm just a sinner saved by grace because the whole of the New Testament teaching teaches us something very different about our truest identity. But in this story, in this instance, um, we don't have time to unpack that, so I think we'll probably take a look at that next, next week. So, here in the story, the folks that were, that were broken and knew they needed help, the ones that knew they couldn't do it on their own, they knew in their sickness they needed Jesus. And so they did receive amazing grace because the sick, the sick need a doctor. Now, imagine Jesus says that phrase, the sick need a doctor, and you're one of the tax collectors in here kind of overhearing what Jesus is saying uh, to the Pharisees, Right? And if you're a tax collector and you hear the sick need a doctor, you know, you could have been offended. Like, they could have been like, hey, wait, 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 Jesus, are you calling us sick? Right? And if that might have been their response, what I imagine is Jesus kind of smiling and chuckling, maybe saying something like, hey, no offense, Matthew, but you and your friends, you're all a little sick. More than a little sick, right? And... I think that because of this acceptance that Jesus had already demonstrated by being with them and by accepting them and, and, and because of the heart and the love with which Jesus would say anything to them, I imagine their response being that they would kind of actually go, well, they'd sort of shrug and nod, be like, well, yeah, I guess, you know, yeah, he's got a point, right? He's got a point. Um, see, right, because... They probably, in that moment, the sick need a doctor. Oh, he's talking about us. Oh, man, what? They probably looked at each other, and it didn't take long to just kind of start adding up, because they were, you know, tax collectors. They're pretty good at math. They start adding up all that they have done, all the ways that they have lived, all the ways that they have treated other people and cheated other people, and somehow wouldn't have taken long before they knew that Jesus' diagnosis wasn't offensive. It wasn't offensive. And because of his love for them, they could hear it. And right here, that's where Matthew had to be ready to acknowledge his own sickness, his brokenness, his sinfulness. And in light of the love of Jesus, what he wants is not to be defensive or argue. He wants to be set free. He wants the doctor to help him get well. And I believe this is so crucial because sometimes we think we just want to come with truth and tell everybody where they're wrong. But look at what Jesus does, not just here, but all over the place. Jesus has this posture of love and grace, which actually frees them to enter into repentance. See, Romans uh, says, 
It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. So many times you see people thinking if we could just argue and debate or yell or make people feel bad about what they're doing or shame them, that then they'll change, then they'll repent. But it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. That's what we see right here in this story. The kindness, the posture of Jesus actually frees them to want to enter into repentance. Now, I want to look at that word, just repentance for a moment here, uh, where, where Jesus said, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Um, that's verse 32. Now, first of all, I think he's probably being, you know, because he's talking to the Pharisees who are pretty smug. I think he's probably being a little sarcastic here because the truth is Jesus calls us all to repentance. In fact, I really like how the New Living Translation translates this verse here. Uh, we'll put it up on the screen. The Pharisees asked, why does he eat with, eat with such scum? Which is a really good interpretation because that's what the Pharisees thought of these other folks. There was nothing sanitized or nice. Why does he eat with such scum? There's kind of a name calling going on. And Jesus answered them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. He's saying, I'm not coming for those who think they already got it all together. I'm coming for those who know they don't, and they know they need to repent. So there's that word again. What does repentance mean? Because sometimes, you know, we hear that word and it's real heavy and religious and, and it can be really hard. But, 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 but here's a simple definition of repentance. Repentance simply means to change your mind, to change the way you think. You're going one way, you change the way you think, and you go a different direction. So in this case, if you're going in a way that's not aligned with Jesus, then you turn around and you follow Jesus instead. You leave the sinful direction, the unhelpful direction, the broken direction. We turn around and we follow Jesus. So here he's saying to the tax collectors in the repentance way, it's like, hey guys, listen, you've been going the wrong direction. Defrauding, stealing, extorting money, it's making your soul sick. So what would repentance, what would changing the way they think and going a different direction look like for the tax collectors? I wonder if it would look kind of like another tax collector that we'll eventually meet here in Luke 19, a guy named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, when he has repentance, this tax collector says... Now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated any if if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Okay, right? He does a 180, he turns around, that's repentance, changing direction, going in the direction of following Jesus, which actually leads to generosity and extravagance. So, family, when when we are going against the grain of how God designed the universe in any area of our life. When we go against the grain that way, life's just not going to work out the way that he intended for it to work out for us. Um, so really, because of that, that turnaround, go the other way thing, repentance is a gift. It's not this heavy, like, terrible oh, thing that we have to carry. Repentance is a gift. In fact, uh, this, this week... Um, I feel like Jesus spoke through this passage to me. And it was along the lines of, Doug, you're going the wrong direction in how you're treating that person 
and it's making you sick. So, Doug, here's the prescription from the great physician. (laughs) Repent, change your mind about how to handle conflicts and anger, and go the other direction and trust my way of dealing with your critics, your opponents, your enemies, by learning to love them. Or or sometimes, I know I've heard this in the past, Doug, you're going the wrong direction in how you're gripping your money so tightly, and these days you're not being as generous. Um, That's making you sick, Doug. Here's a prescription from the great physician. Repent, change your mind, go the other way about how you handle money, go the other direction, trust my way in dealing with your finances by loosening your grip and being generous. See, repentance is a gift because when we're going the wrong direction, repentance turns us around, points us in the direction that leads to life. But without repentance, we're just gonna like get sick and stay sick. Back to our Luke 5 story today. Um, The tax collectors, the scum, right? They knew they were sick, but they had hope of getting well. They were actually in a better situation here than the Pharisees because the Pharisees, on the other side of this equation, they couldn't admit that they even needed help. So what they got to keep was their sickness. They judged Jesus for demonstrating a heart of compassion. Um, So they got to be unmerciful. (laughs) They get to keep that. They judged everybody else for not being as religious as they were. So they got to be hidden and fake. They got to stay sick. But, you know, at this point when I was writing this, I kind of stopped and was like, you know, when I start beating up on the Pharisees and how they treated people who were sick and needed a doctor, um, I just kind of wondered, how 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 is it that sometimes we do the same thing that they did? You know, sometimes do we do that? Like, is there any area of your life where if you're really honest, you've got to admit, like, oh, I've I've got some Pharisee in me. Got some Pharisee sneaking out here, because I do. Like, how do we treat the sick, people that we see are sick? How do we, and I'm talking in a spiritual, moral sense here, how do we treat the lost? Um, How do we treat people who we're pretty sure are actually our enemies? And I mean, by the way, welcome to my week, right? Because all week long, you know, we work on these messages and God just keeps working on my heart so you just get the overflow of that, so you're welcome. Um, but think of your enemy. Think of somebody who you see as an opponent, an enemy. Maybe that person, you think they are lost, they are wrong. Anybody come to mind for you? Just think of that person. Um, think of that Hot button trigger, maybe. If you can't think specifically of an enemy, think of that hot button trigger issue that if there's somebody who's on the other side of that issue seeing it different than you do, you're automatically going to turn them into your enemy. I'll meddle a little bit. Is Maybe that hot button issue for you is immigration. It's somebody's view on immigration. That hot button is going to turn them into an enemy. Or, or abortion. Or climate change. Or health care. Or the economy. Um, refugees, racial injustice. Maybe it's issues of sexuality and the LGBTQ community. And if we don't agree with them on one of those issues, bang, they're just automatically going to be our enemy. 
Which, by the way, when I catch myself doing that, it shows me that I'm being not discipled by Jesus, not by Scripture. I'm being discipled by our culture, uh, by news talk or commentary, like that I'm filling my mind with all these thoughts, and I think this is just the right way. When I find myself doing that, I go, whoa, I better cut back on some things, right? Um, Because especially in our current political climate, if there's somebody that's the other political party, um, do we make them, do we see them as our enemy? Do we make excuses? Do we give ourselves permission, even as, and I'm just talking to Christians here, as Christians, if somebody's from the other political party, does that give us an excuse to mock, ridicule, or name call? Let me just steal an idea from Andy Stanley here. Um, and if you haven't read his book, In It to Win It, I highly recommend it. But let's, um, let's say someone is from the other political party, different than the one you're a part of. So, so then if you're you know, on the one side, then you would see them as a godless Democrat who has no moral standards. They're trying to destroy our nation or whatever the narrative is that's pushed on talk radio, right? Or, or if you're a... Jesus follower who's a Democrat, then you see, you see them, the they, as the soulless Republicans who don't care about the poor, who push conspiracy theories and make excuses for racism or whatever narrative is being pushed there, right? And whichever way it is for you that you lean, let's just, for, for fun here, let's just say, you know what, you're, let's say you're right about your, about your opinion, about your view, right? You're right that they are wrong, and uh, anybody here, um, by the way, think that, that their views are right and the other side is wrong? Go ahead and raise your hand if you think you're right and the other side is wrong. Okay, we're going to do a series on lying next. We're going to interrupt Luke. <laughs> Come back to that. Anybody here think that their views are right and the other side is wrong? Anybody? Yeah, just still about the same amount of us being honest. All right, we really will have to do that series. Let's, um, okay, let's just say, right, and, and this is a big stretch, but if, if you are totally right... And they are totally wrong. And even if you are completely in the right category and they are lost, if they are lost, then wouldn't that make them the mission field? Wouldn't that make them the mission field? And if you and I were to see even let's say it's lost people or people that are easy to treat as enemies as a mission field, or even if we could see, okay, that, you know what, that person, maybe they're sick. If they're sick, what do they actually need? A doctor, right? A doctor. Not a critic, not a judge, not a debater, not someone to insult and demean and parrot the latest lines of cable news networks or talk radio, not a mocker, not a political commentator. They need a doctor. They're someone that we get to win to Christ's love like Jesus did, not to just try to argue with. We, we don't argue them into the love of Jesus. We want to win them into the love of Jesus. And by the way, I'm only talking to followers of Jesus here. So if you are not a follower of Jesus, then you're off the hook. You can go ahead and be as mean and nasty and attack and be offensive with bumper stickers and post insults on social media, wear the caps, the t-shirts, all this, all day long. Mock the other side all day long. But, but, if you are 
we are followers of Jesus, we don't get to behave that way. We just, we don't get to behave that way. We don't get to do that if we're actually following Jesus Because followers of Jesus are disciples of Jesus. We do what Jesus did. We look at his posture towards the sick or the lost. We demonstrate love like he did. Because as Jesus continued to demonstrate his whole life long, Jesus is for everyone. Even them? Yes, even them. See, friends, the sick need a doctor. And I just wonder, when I look and when we look at how Jesus operated in Luke 5, at least in this story and so many other places, could, could learning from Jesus' posture, his posture of love and grace, and us doing the same to others, could that actually free people to enter into, we use the word repentance, but a change of direction? in their own life and heart. Because a lot of the issues I mentioned, really, you can kind of make a case both ways. Not all, but some of them for kind of a biblical view of many of them from either side, uh, for some of them. So it's not necessarily a moral issue, but, but let's just say somebody is lost. What if we approach with the posture of Jesus, a posture of Jesus of love and grace? Wouldn't that maybe even do what he saw where people were freed to enter into repentance? So, so instead of rejecting people, even those that we are certain are operating in sinful ways, maybe especially if we're sure that they're wrong, what's it look like for us to... Find ways to show kindness and love, even while they're still deep in sin. Um, And all I have to do is just remember, okay, think of how Jesus responds to us in our sin. right? Jesus, better than us, knows the weight of our sin. He knows the damage that our sin has done to us and to others, but he never, ever, ever allows our sin to come between him and us. Our sin never comes between us and God. Once you say yes to Jesus, that sin is not a separator from you and God. We can talk more about that next week. But he demonstrates, he demonstrates love and grace, that posture towards the sick, toward the broken, toward the sinful people around us. And he invites us to do the same. Because Jesus, who is the exact representation of God, Jesus is not and was not afraid of sin. He wasn't afraid of being around messed up people. He didn't condone it. He didn't ignore it. He didn't pretend that it wasn't harmful. But he wasn't afraid to be around sinful people. Jesus hung around them, partied with them, let his reputation be criticized because of them. And he did it because he knew the power of God's love was what would set them free from their broken choices. He knew, he knew that when When broken people experience the love and grace of God, it's only a matter of time before they would change their mind, change direction, change choices, that they would repent, but in a heartfelt way, choosing to turn from this way and follow a new way, follow Jesus into a new life, a new story, and new beginnings that come when we decide to put our trust in Jesus and follow him because the sick we need a doctor so 
And I'm just talking to followers of Jesus for a moment here. How can we actually be helpful in this process? How can we, how can we get to the table with people and learn to love and listen and care about them? Well, I think it starts with repentance for us too. It starts with recognizing where we are not following Jesus, especially in how we're treating other people, seeing that those are places in our souls that are actually sick. And the sick need a doctor, so we need a doctor, especially in those areas where we're not following Jesus. We need Jesus. But we have to recognize that we have a need or we're never going to get well. See, if, if, if you or me, like the Pharisees, if we just think we're right, that we can look down on other people or condemn those that we see as enemies, if we think we don't need to stop and take a long, hard look at the direction we're going, the things that we're saying, because, well, I'm right about what I'm saying, and wait, I'm right about what I believe, then what you're saying is, Jesus, I have no need of you. I'm fine. See, if you think you have it all together, if you think you don't need grace, if you don't see your need for forgiveness, then you'll never know why repentance is a gift because we do need to turn around and go the direction Jesus invites us to because it's a, it's a way filled with life. See, friends, none of us is perfect. All of us need repentance. We need to change our mind to go a different direction, but only the sick, only the humble, only the broken actually realize it. And so this morning, where do you need the care of Jesus, the great physician? Where would repentance, where would changing the way you think and going a different direction, what would that look like for you? So worship team comes. I'm going to talk to two groups of people real quick. Start with those that already follow Jesus. Would you be willing to ask, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, are there any areas where I'm not following Jesus? Where there's even a sickness that I can't see or I didn't realize or didn't know. Holy Spirit, I give you permission to call those things to my attention. Maybe it's in how you handle money. Give them permission to talk to you about it. Or maybe it's in how you handle your sexuality. Maybe it's about power dynamics and control dynamics and the way you treat other people. Maybe it's just give a Holy Spirit permission to speak to you, to let you know, to open your heart so that you can see where you need to get well and so whatever area it is, again, to repent when he calls it to your attention would mean to own it, see it, name it, and turn around and go the other direction, to follow Jesus in the other direction. And again, maybe it's what I talked about, the people that we see as our enemies, another point of view that we think they're cheering for the wrong political team. But, but, but remember, if you follow Jesus, what does it make someone that you think is lost? That makes them actually the mission field, which means we treat that person with love to win them to Christ. We don't treat them as enemies. They are people to be loved. Even if someone else is really sick, well, okay, the sick need a what? Doctor. But let's be honest, I have a hard time seeing people just as sick people who need a doctor because there are places in my heart that are sick. My attitudes toward, my attitudes toward people who aggravate me or who even sometimes see theology different than me, and I see them as an enemy and an opponent. Um, 
My, my feelings that I have towards people that I strongly disagree with. My defenses go up. I'm ready to argue. I'm ready to fight. I'm ready to judge. But you know what happens when I do that? It never makes me feel better. <laughs> right? Anyone, it never results in feeling freedom and joy and love now that I have lashed out like that, right? Isn't that true? When you cut somebody off in relationship or push them away, do you walk away from that feeling joyful and free and light? Or like me, when you do that, and we all do that, do you feel stressed and anxious and aggravated? Well, that's okay. Because seeing it, it means that we're admitting that we're sick, and the sick need a doctor. The sick parts of us need the great physician to come and heal and make us whole. We want to change our minds to repent become open to the fact that we don't know it all. We become aware that directions that we're going, even as followers of Jesus, don't line up with the way Jesus is showing us to live. So when we see that, we get to repent, name it, ask Jesus to show us another way, and he will show us another way. In fact, all through scripture, he has shown us another way. So, first group, let's just pray. Holy Spirit, right now, to speak to us as we ask you, God, are there any areas of life where I'm not following Jesus? Before we dismiss, I just want to say uh, there was a second group of people that I just wanted to mention something to. Um, the first was for followers of Jesus, just asking Jesus, asking the Holy Spirit to show any areas of our life that we're not following Jesus. But maybe there's some, this is the second group, and you've never made that decision to follow Jesus before. And so if that's you, maybe your question is, am I sick? Am I sick of being sick? And am I ready to trust Jesus to be the kind of doctor who will heal my soul and make me new? Maybe you relate to Matthew, that point of decision that he had where Jesus called him because he didn't have to go. He had a decision to make. He had to recognize that he needed forgiveness. He needed to go in a new direction. But first he had to admit to needing help. And maybe this morning um, Jesus is calling you you've never made that decision before, Jesus is calling you, saying, follow me. Maybe you have no idea what even that, even all of that means, but by the way, none of us did either when we said yes. <laughs> but he's calling you, I think. Right now, I even have a sense there are some of you, God is just inviting you. Jesus is calling you like he did, Matthew. Come follow me. And all that matters, friends, is if you say yes. Because if you say yes, then you can get started following Jesus. But it's your decision. And so as we dismiss this morning, if you want to begin following Jesus, or maybe you've been away from God for a long time, or maybe you just feel like you've been so lost and you just want to start again, um, our prayer team right in the back would love to pray with you to help you on that journey to start following Jesus. So, um, friends, will you stand?
By the way, anybody that wants prayer for anything at all, please uh, come on back to the prayer wall back here. A couple folks back there for any reason whatsoever would love to pray for you. Um, A couple real quick things. Uh, If you want a book, Liz is back there by the lamp, by the sound booth. You can chat with her and sign up back there with the Brother Lawrence Practicing the Presence book. Um, And here, let's say part of a new liturgy for this week and next week. What time is the service starting June 4th? 10 a.m. Oh, you guys are so good. It does my heart so good to hear that. One service starting in two weeks, just for seven weeks. Um, All right. Well, people of hope, you can come to God at any time, and you get to come just as you are. He's not mad. He's not aggravated. He's not disappointed in you. Wherever it is that you and I find ourselves seeing a place that we're not following Jesus, it's okay. You can repent as an invitational way, as a gift. We can turn and start following Jesus out of whatever it is that we recognize is not helping into the way that Jesus would show us to live. So people of hope, may you live with an awareness this week of the power, the strength, and the grace of the Holy Spirit over your life, helping you to say yes to the good and to turn towards Jesus, to move away from things that are not healthy or helpful. May you have the humility to see where it is that you need the doctor. And then may you also demonstrate the love of that good doctor to every hurting, broken, sick, wounded person that you come in contact with. May you show them the love, the acceptance, the grace of Jesus. Go now. And be blessed and live loved in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Love you guys.